Welcome back to the Yak Podcast. We're continuing our series on apologetics, and we dive more into the teleological argument for the existence of God this week as we dis- uh, discuss it from a uh, um, biological perspective. Hope you enjoy. Can someone give me the first premise? Preston, I like it. Every design has a designer. Hey, good try. I like it. I like it. Every design has a design. It's interwoven. My initials are sketched on every Benjamin. Premise two. The universe. So Miami. (laughs) The universe has a very complex design. Therefore, who can do reason? Mercy. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, the U has a designer. This is where we left off last week. Last week we ended with talking about cosmology and the design of the universe and the anthropic constants that exist that point to a designer. There are so many anthropic constants that the odds of us coming into existence are astronomically small. But that's just not the only evidence that God has left us. God has left us with stuff at the pinnacle of existence too, or the smallest moments of existence, namely the cell. Um, when In Darwin's day, the cell was thought to be just a, a block of mass. Much like, who plays Minecraft? Or who has played Minecraft? Okay. That is very similar to what they thought the cell was. It's just a simple block that you can create and put on stuff and suddenly you have a building or a sword or a new nose or eyeliner or whatever you specifically want to fit in your Minecraft world. But as we dived into the cell, we saw complexity beyond measure. And we're going to see that today and it's going to speak to the idea of a designer. So, here's, an, here's a thought. You walk downstairs and you see the alphabet cereal has spilled out. Onto the table. On the table, it says this. Take out the garbage. Mom. Recalling a recent high school biology lessons, Monty didn't attribute the message to his mom. After all, he'd just been taught that life itself is merely a product of mindless, natural laws. If that's the case, Monty thought, could the simple message be the product of mindless, natural law as well? Maybe the cat knocked over the box. He didn't want to take the garbage out anyways. He wanted to go to the beach. So Monte left to go to the beach. At the beach, he was going to meet his girlfriend, Montes. Or so he thought it was his girlfriend when he saw Montes holding hands with Beth. They were walking along hand in hand on the shoreline. 
He followed them at a distance until he came to a heart that had been drawn in the sand that said, Montes loves Ben. For a moment, for a moment, Monty was distraught until he thought that this too could be the project of mindless natural laws as well. Maybe a mix of waves and seashells, crabs wrestling, could have created this heart and message. In Darwin's day, the cell was believed to be matter. That was like a blob. No machinery, no parts, no language. Darwin even admits that if the cell is discovered to be complex, that his theory would hit a major roadblock. Naturalistic biology asserts that life generated spontaneously from non-living chemicals by natural laws without any intelligent intervention. Such a theory would seem plausible to Darwin in the 19th century. 1950s, we have been able to discover the tiny world of awesome design and astonishing complexity. While our telescopes can now look farther into space, our microscopes can see further into the cell. We now know that it ain't no blob. So-called simple life, a one-celled amoeba, is not so simple. According to naturalistic evolutionists, they claim this single-cell organism came about by spontaneous generation in a little pond of warm liquid. From there, we get you. This is called naturalistic evolution. You can write that down. Naturalistic evolution. Or from the goo through the zoo to you. Naturalistic evolution. From the goo through the zoo to you. Forget about the rest of the problems with evolution. If it can't get its feet on the ground, the creation of the first amoeba, it has a huge problem. They say that Darwinism and the origin of life are separate things. The supreme problem, though, is that for unguided naturalistic macro evolution to be true, the first life must have generated spontaneously from non-living chemicals. Unfortunately for Darwinists, the first life indeed, any form of life, is by no means simple. This is formed by this thing, DNA. The discovery of DNA made a complex structure even more complex because now it had a language in which its work within the cell and outside the cells with other cells. So now there's a language. Now there is literal programming, this DNA, okay, that moves information between units in the cell. Okay, I'll get into some of the details of that potentially in a second. How complex is an organism? Take an amoeba, single-celled organism. You can line up several hundred of them within an inch. Okay? Within an inch, you can line up several hundred amoebas. Richard Dawkins admits that the amount of information, DNA language directions, found within the nucleus of the amoeba has more volumes, has more than 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Of information. 
Let me emphasize. Oh, so uh, that's just in the nucleus. In the whole amoeba, there are over a thousand volumes of information compared to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Let me emphasize that these thousand encyclopedias do not consist of random letters. This is not just someone throwing out letters into a thousand volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. But it's in a specific order, just like an encyclopedia. Question then is, if a simple message, take out the garbage mom, takes an intelligent being, then why doesn't a message that consists of a thousand volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica not? See, here's the thing. There's a difference between good science and bad science. Commonly believed the so-called creation-evolution debate is about the war between religion and science. And the fact is nothing can be further from the truth. The creation-evolution debate is not about religion versus science or the Bible versus science. It's about good science versus bad science. As we have mentioned before, science is the search for causes. Logically, there are only two types of causes. Two types. Intelligent and unintelligent. Let me think of some examples. Why don't you close your eyes? I'm going to have you imagine some things with your eyes closed. Thank you, Caleb. Your eyes closed. Imagine Mount Rushmore. Intelligent cause or non-intelligent cause? Some interesting wind patterns. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Now imagine the Grand Canyon. Intelligent cause or non-intelligent cause. Okay? You can open your eyes. Problem with Darwinists is that their conclusions are loaded into their assumptions. Spontaneous generation by natural laws must be the cause of life because they consider no other options. And the problem is immense. Biochemist Klaus Dauss admits that more than 30 years of research into the origins of life has led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on the earth rather than its solution. At present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in a stalemate or in the confession of ignorance. Francis Crick adds this, every time I write a paper on the origin of life, I swear I will never write another one because there is too much speculation running after too few facts. They have even gone as far as sailing that aliens have deposited the first life. Fred Hoyle, who came up with this theory, invented it because he understood that the chances of life arising spontaneously was effectively zero. That thought by Fred Hoyle is called panspermia. Does solve the problem. It does not solve the problem. All it does is push it back. Now we have to figure out, well, who made the aliens? At least panspermia, though, denotes some sort of intelligence. 
Another panspermia advocate, Chandra Wickramasinghe, admits that Darwinists are acting on blind faith when it comes to spontaneous generation. He observes the emergence of life from a primordial soup on the earth is merely an article of faith that scientists are finding difficult to shed. There is no experimental evidence to support this at the present time. Indeed, all attempts to create from non-life, starting from pasture, have been unsuccessful. Michael Denton, atheist, adds this, The complexity of the simplest known type of cell is so great that it's impossible to accept that such an object could have been thrown together suddenly by some kind of freakish, vastly improbable event. Such an occurrence would be indistinguishable from a miracle. Richard Dawkins writes this, Biology is the stuff of complicated things that give the appearance of having been designed for a purpose. Francis Crick, co-discoverer of DNA, says biologists must constantly keep in mind that what they see is not designed, but rather evolved. Read this, how Richard Lewinton, a Darwinist of Harvard University, acknowledges the Darwinists accept absurd gesso stories that are against common sense because their prior commitments are materialism. This is what he says. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key this is sad, is the key to understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patient absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment to materialism. It is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material explanation of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a priori adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and set up concepts that produce material explanations. No matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated, Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So the question is, when you hear all these quotes, who's the one being scientific? Thanks for listening to the Yak Podcast. I hope you enjoy our uh, series on apologetics. If you want more information on Yak, you can visit us at cccfrisco.com. Dot org. I hope you'll join us again soon.